0: This morning we're going to be in chapter, uh, Psalm 46, 47, and 48, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. 46, 47, and 48. Um, And we'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word. As JC prayed, we want it to be effective in our lives, to be submitted to it. And we thank you for the instruction we get, even through a song. Um, How through a song written by people Thousands of years ago, we're encouraged and we get wisdom as to how to conduct our life, but also, um, it's almost prophetically speaking from you, um, just direction. Many of us have been praying all week long for direction and encouragement and, and answers. And when we come to your word by your Holy Spirit, you always provide those things for us. And so this morning, help, our, help us to have our ears open to truly hear. Not hear what we want to hear or expect to hear, but just just to hear what you have to say and receive it with gladness. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 46 uh, is where we'll spend most of the morning, 47 and 48. We will read through and, and do a little talk on that. But 47 and 48 are simply praises to the Lord based off of 46. So we'll spend a lot of time here in 46. Um, there are two kingdoms that are in operation right now in this world. It's very important to understand that because that's what 46 is about. We've got the kingdom of this world, which is where we were delivered from, saved from the chains that were broken, the songs that we sang. That's what as Christians we've been brought out of. And then there's the kingdom of God, which Jesus proclaims now is the time and it's here and it's at hand, the kingdom of God. And when we've been translated and moved from um, that worldly opinion or that worldly kingdom that we used to live in and we've been brought into the kingdom of God now that we're born again believers and we're ambassadors here it seems like a foreign land but we're ambassadors here it's important that we keep our hearts and minds focused on our true country now our true kingdom and not to waffle and toggle between the two kingdoms you see and so chapter 46 gives us a great understanding of that and and why it's very practical it's very practical verse 1 God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah, which is the pause. The writer wants us to think about that a little bit, to meditate on that. The kingdom of this world that we were translated from or brought out of is shakable. It's movable. And we've seen that. I think in the last three to four years, we've seen this world shaken more by many different conflicts and problems and pestilences and all sorts of things. And we can see clearly, even in our own lives, how shaken we can become. And I think that's a telltale sign as to where my kingdom is and where I've been building See, I've got two choices. I can either build in the kingdom of God in my life or I can build in the worldly side of these things. And if I spend most of my life building in the world, when it gets shaken, my life gets shaken, my world gets shaken. When I spend most of my time building on God's kingdom and and, and fortifying that which is eternal, my forever with the Lord and his kingdom, when the world shakes, I'm immovable. It doesn't bother me as much. When the world begins to shake, it tells us where we are. We don't want to build upon that. The, the Bible talks about building upon the sand versus building upon the rock. And the sand is always shifting. And as believers in Christ, if we're on the shores of the beach, uh, the Pacific Ocean or Atlantic, depending on where your favorite beach is, and you begin to build sandcastles, you can't be upset when they get washed away. That's what happens when you build on the beach. It just gets washed away. Sure, it's disappointing, but you kind of should have known that before you started building there. That's what's going to happen. The waves are going to come, and it's going to tear that apart. It has no structure, foundation, or strength. The waves are far more powerful. I want to make sure that I'm not building sandcastles in my life. The writer here says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help. In trouble, therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. We've never seen anything like that before. We trembled at masks a couple years ago. We trembled at uh, mandates. We we tremble at a lot of things that are hardly worth trembling about, and compared to what is going to come upon this earth compared to what the Bible tells us is going to happen, we'd better fortify a little bit more if that moved us. We're called not to be moved. We're called. God says we shouldn't be moved. There shouldn't be any fear. The only reason I have fear and the only reason I am moved is because I've been building in the wrong kingdom in my life. And the world bothers me and the world affects me. Now, Couple scriptures that come to mind here. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses three through four. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. There's a blindness in this world. The world is tossed to and fro. We can see that in every election cycle, in every argument. All of these things that we see the world struggling with and fussing over, we can see that. We look and we watch from the outside. If you're a born-again believer, you watch these things and you're like, what's the tumult over there? What's the dust up? That's a term we used here in the Midwest. There's dust up over there, you know. Well, it's because they're fighting over the things of this world, which as a believer, we're supposed to have an eternal view. We're supposed to look externally at these things and say, I guess you can fuss about that, but it's, I mean, it's a sandcastle. It's a sandcastle. Maybe you wanted to build that part of the sandcastle and you think it's your turn to be a part of the sandcastle, but that sandcastle will be washed away. It's going to dissolve. And to put so much effort and time and hope in something that's by definition, according to God's word, going to melt away, it's futile. I'm not moved by those things. You'll find, though, as you've been translated out of that world and what the world does, when you're not moved by the world, the world gets angry with you for not being moved by the world. Don't you understand what's happening? Can't you see what's going on here? Hurry up. Help me. Dig a trench. You remember as a kid, you used to dig a trench? I don't know if you've ever been to the beach, but I've been there. We built this sand castle, and we're, oh, it's so much effort and work, and here come the waves. We've got to divert the water, and we build this trench. Get down here and help me build this trench. Stop the water, fill it up, and divert it away. And every time you pull your hands through there, it just fills up with a little more sand and comes a little bit closer and ends up washing away. It's futile, and the world gets angry when we don't do that with them. They get mad when we're not upset like they are. How come you're not angry? How come you're not enraged? Because none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, Paul would say. We have turmoil and then we have peace. I'd say right now we're in a little bit of a calm right now. Over the past three years, I think we're in a little bit of a calm. We don't have riots in the streets. We don't have people shooting each other. We don't have dumpster fires right now anyway. We don't have mask mandates, although Cedar Rapids, Iowa just instituted their mask mandate again. It's coming for the fall. We don't have a lot of the things that cause so much turmoil. But what do you do in those peace times, in those comfort times, in those times of of where it's calm? Just take a break and rest? Yeah, there's a little bit of that, I suppose. Can't always be on edge. But it's also a time to build. It's also time to get my quiet times down. To get into the word of God all the more. To worship God all the more. To spend less time doing the things of the world and caring about the things of the world. And more about the things that God wants me to focus on. To strengthen myself. To build myself up. Because, I mean, I hate to say it, but there's another wave coming. There always is. And these peace times, although nice for a rest and a refuge and a time for a break. It's also time to build. You can't just sit down and relax, and do nothing. God's called us to that. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he tells us, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I don't have to worry about what the world wants me to do. I'm not to be concerned with that. When you first get saved, you still have a lot of people in your lives and I say still because eventually they wean themselves away from you, you still have a lot of people in your lives that are concerned with the world. They're very worldly. And they don't understand what's happened to you. They call it you've got religion or you've whatever, you know, you you become born again, and they use that in a derogatory way, not in a good way. And they are conformed to this world, and they desperately want you to stay grounded, you know, you need to stay grounded. I mean, don't get so heavenly minded that you're no, of no earthly good. You know, uh, you need to, you know, take your head out of the sand, they'll tell you, and wake up and see what's going on around you. Can't you see? Well, I've never seen more clearly than right now. Your conspiracy theories and your YouTube videos make no impact on me whatsoever. I've always known that this world is destined for doom. Always. It's never not been. It's always been there, and the things of this world are supposed to grow strangely dim, and we're supposed to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord, and that's when you get your feet on solid rock, and you watch the world around you shake and be uh, moved and tremble and, and 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 scream and yell and holler, and you like, why don't I not why am I so why do I have such peace why do I have such calm? Well, you're standing upon a rock. My kingdom's not of this world. I'm, I'm with the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for eternity. I'm, I'm like Abraham, who's a sojourner, the Bible calls him, walking through the land, living in a tent as a transient person in this world, saying, I'm looking for a, a city or a building that's not made with human hands. That's what I'm waiting on. And I lived my life that way, and he did. Poor Lot thought he needed to go down into Sodom and Gomorrah and make his dwelling there. And Abraham says, I know it's scrubby up here and it's not the best grazing ground, but it's far better than being down there. And he's the one that had to go save Lot, who was in the most beautiful place you could be as far as grazing goes. As Christians, we're called to that. I think today's lesson that God is trying to get across to us is if you were of the world, And God has translated you or moved you into the kingdom of God. Now as a believer in Jesus Christ, that's where we live and that's where you build. It's a waste of time to build any place else, but there verse four, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the most high. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. Just at the break of dawn, the nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Very peaceful being in Jesus. It's supposed to be. The only reason I feel that lack of peace is when I find myself maybe really concerned with the things of this world. And that's when I get shaken and that's when I get moved. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, For whoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. I have trust. We're not not in heaven yet. Jesus isn't ruling and reigning yet, but I know that he will. The promises here in this psalm are to wake us up and to keep our eyes wide open that this world will be shaken. It's going to be. There's no avoiding it. You can put band-aids on it all you want. You can build trenches around it all you want. You can make the sandcastle last for as long as you have effort. But it's going to get washed away. Now, that doesn't mean that we want to just let it go. Of course not. But you do have to understand that as you labor, as you work for a continuation of of the good that's in this world, to be that resistance that God's called us to be, inevitably, though, you have to understand what the world says, what God's word says about it. It will be washed away. I will be washed away. It's a timing thing with God. He's got a time and a, and a place that it's all going to come apart. And he's waiting for that. Now, it's not meant to be doom and gloom. It's meant to give us hope and peace. To rest in Jesus to be able to build our lives and have a peaceful life here. And to be that example, the world desperately needs to know that there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a rocky place to stand on. They're moving from shifting sand to shifting sand. So, so many people, I remember when I first, well, confronted myself or God confronted, I don't think I would have given him credit at the time, with my sin or with my lack of morality. That's what I would call it back then. And I went from book to book and I went from guru to guru. They weren't real gurus, but they called themselves the psychologist of the day or the psychiatrist of the day or the self-help book section spent a lot of time there. And you would go from sandbar to sandbar to sandbar only to realize that just shifts and it moves and they contradict. And how can that be? How is that going to help me when you just said in chapter two, You know, and it was so easy to see as you read through the books. And I was looking for a rock. What's the answer? What's the solution? This world is desperate for a solution. Where can I stand where I'm not moved all the time? Where can I stand to find peace? And if we haven't found it in our own lives, how in the world can we possibly tell other people about it? If we're being as shifted as Christians, as everybody else in the world who doesn't have Christ is being shifted, what hope do I have to offer them? We're called to stand upon the rock. I'm not saying it's a selfish thing to stand upon the rock. I'm saying that is your witness. That's your testimony. That's how you help people. Paul told Timothy, take heed to yourself and to your doctrine, and those around you will get saved. You've got to get on the rock first yourself. You have to not be moved first. Then you can reach out and pull people onto the rock with you. Once you feel out and figure out where it is, but we've got to be there. We're called to build upon God's kingdom and not the kingdom of this world. Verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Come, look at the works of the Lord. Who has made desolations in the earth? He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. That's a promise. If we were ever wondering whether Jesus, you can feel the persecution coming for Christians. You can feel the persecution. It doesn't matter. I just had a conversation last week with a lady who says, you know, when they talk about not sharing your religious views at work, they're not talking about anybody else but Christians. You can feel that. You can feel the anger and the hate. That the, the Roe versus Wade thing, that's all you saw after it got overturned was, oh, you patriarchal Christians. But well, what about you patriarchal Muslims? Why don't you bring that up? Because they will cut your head off if you do. Christians aren't going to do that to us. So we're, they're easy targets. We're soft targets, but we'll just keep the Muslims out of this. We're not going to do that. They're as just opposed as we are on the matter for different reasons. But... No, the Christians are going to feel that target on their back, and you're going to feel that more and more. But what do we do with that? How do we feel when we feel that laser pointer at our chest? You know, it's a little disconcerting sometimes. You'd rather just be invisible. God gives us this promise. I want you to be still and know that I'm God. The idea is I will be exalted among the nations, no matter what they try to do, no matter what they think they're winning, as they, as they try to extinguish Christianity and extinguish Jesus Christ, he will not be extinguished. He'll be magnified. He will come back and he will rule and reign and we will stand and reign and rule with him. We're called to that. I will be exalted in the earth. That's a promise. No matter what it looks like, no matter what persecution you're going through, he will be exalted. And that's a good thing. That's a, that's a promising thing, a hopeful thing, something I can rest upon, something I can build upon. It's not a waste of time to build on this rock. It's the only thing worth your time is to build upon the rock. Everything else is temporary, falls apart. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, I know it's a long cross-reference, 10 verses, almost the entire chapter could have read the whole chapter, but we don't need to. He tries to explain to the Ephesians, these believers, that they can have hope and they need to live in the kingdom of God. And you, us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's a wonderful testimony as to what God has done for us. And he has to, it's interesting, he has to remind the Ephesians of what's happened to them. I don't know what happens to us in our mind or in our spirit where we forget I think about the children of Israel when they got delivered from Egypt. Oh, they were so glad to get out of the world. The beatings they would take. The the lack of freedom that they had. And oh, God finally answered our prayer and brought us out with a mighty hand. And they sang songs about all the wonderful things he did for them. But somewhere between point A and point B, the promised land, they got bored or tired or forgot. And they kind of wished they were back in the world. And they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years because of their disobedience, that they wouldn't have faith and continue to follow God all the way to the promised land. We don't have to be that. You don't have to do that. I don't have to live my entire Christian walk struggling and fighting and wondering why the sands that I'm standing on keep moving out from under me. They're worldly. They're not stable. They'll never be stable. You can't stabilize them. There's nothing you can do. There's only one place to stand, and that's upon the rock of Jesus Christ, upon your faith. Build up your faith. Spend time building on your faith. That's all that matters. That's the only thing that lasts. It's the only thing that goes on. The world doesn't understand that. And if I don't understand that, I have to wonder in my heart, who is the God in my life? Where do I stand and why do I stand here? In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 14, but the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that may, you may do it. It's very simple. Sitting here is wonderful. Hearing a teaching is very important. Communicating with one another, fellowshipping with one another, breaking bread like we did last week with one another. That's very important. That's all a part of it. But the most important part is the last two words of that verse. We have the word of God. It's very near you. It's in our mouth. It's in your heart that you may do it. We've got to be doers. I have to physically and willfully and intentionally build my faith. These are choices we make. I can choose to immerse myself in the world as a a way of relief and escape. As a way of relaxing, or I can immerse myself in the kingdom of God as a way of relief and relaxing. But the world provides me with nothing but more anxiety, and I wake up no more refreshed than when I jumped into this pool of the world. But when I spend time with God, I'm truly refreshed in my spirit. It's surprising to me still how refreshed I am after I spend time in God's word. Because I'm not a reader. <laughs> my comprehension level is horrible. I'm the, I'm the one, like, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming many people are like me, but you can read through it, and maybe three verses into the 10-verse thing, you've wandered off in the 12 different directions in your mind, and you've forgotten everything you've read, even though you've reached verse 10. It's like, what? I remember first 2, and that's all you can remember. It's laborious for me, but I worked through that. My distractions, my, my flesh. And I'll read through it again, and I'll read through it again, and I'll read through it again, and it's work. Sometimes it's work. Sometimes it takes effort. It doesn't just come easy. Oh, the Word of God's dry. Well, moisten it. (laughs) Pray a little bit beforehand. Ask the Holy Spirit to come into your heart. Read it again. Read it till it's not dry. Read it till God is allowed to speak. I think God lets us labor a little bit, dig a little bit, Invest a little bit in him before he just explodes our heart with joy and refreshment. I think that's important to know that. He's training us. And that's Psalm 46. Psalm 47. Just a beautiful song of praise. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. For the Lord most high is awesome. He's a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. We will choose our inheritance. He will choose our inheritance for us. The excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. Now, this is based off of 46. You promise that you're going to be exalted. You promise that you're going to be famous in all the earth. And because we're with you, because we're on that side, because we stand upon that rock and we've built upon that kingdom, we get to participate in that. And this... Author is very excited about that. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet, singing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. Don't just sing praises like I'm supposed to sing praises. Praise. I don't know what I'm praising, but praise. I'll just say the words. Hallelujah. I don't know why I said hallelujah. No, say it with understanding. Know what God has done. Recall what God has done in your life, what he's doing to the people around you as you minister to them and you share your love with them, the love that God has given you. And then you can praise the Lord with understanding. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together the people of the God of Abraham. That's the faith we have. We have Abraham's faith for the shields of the earth belong to God he is greatly exalted just a wonderful song but those songs are fine sometimes I'll sing these songs and I and I don't I, for lack of a better word I don't feel it I don't understand it I'm not there I'm not where they are in the song whoever wrote that song I'm not there and that's not their fault And it's not really my fault. I didn't know we were going to sing it. I probably should go over. I know JC posts it and read it. And oh, yeah, yeah, I like those words. That's right. I can remember. That's what this psalm needs needs for me. I'll read through this psalm. Psalm 47. Boy, this guy seems really happy about the Lord. I've had a rotten day. It's hard for me to sing this song. And I need to pray my way through that. I don't just throw the song away. Well, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not happy. I need a psalm that talks about sorrow and being beat to death, you know, today. I'm looking for that psalm. No, no, no. God has me in Psalm 47 this morning, no matter where you are in your walk with Jesus, because I need to recall the things he has done. There's two lists in my mind, and the list that I spend most of my time on are the things that God hasn't done for me yet. The things that are on my mind, the things he needs to fix, change, or do whatever. And I spend a lot of time there. And less time in my gratitude lust for the things he has done. It's one of the things that God has been speaking to me lately is I have lots of things I've got for him to do. He's got quite a honey-do list for me, you know. And I, know it's just, and I say it because it's, it's that ridiculous in my mind. And I'm, I'm owning up to it. He doesn't need to do anything else for me for the rest of my life. He doesn't owe me anything. I don't need anything more. And for me to be upset with him for not doing this, that, or the other thing is like a childish brat. Oh, God, where have you been? You know, well, I've been on a cross. I took all of your sins, past, present, and future and put them on myself. I made sure that you weren't going to hell at the end of this really puny, short, vapor life. And you're going to spend forever with me in heaven. What is it that you wanted me to do for you today? Well, (laughs) kind of puts it in perspective for me. And it's not that we don't still ask for that help today. Of course we do. I just need to spend a lot more time considering the gravity of my situation before I came to Christ. And what's actually happened to my soul and my spirit. It's been delivered. I don't have to go to hell anymore. Maybe I need to think about that a little bit longer. Now I can sing Psalm 47 a little bit easier. Oh, you win. You're going to be king. My rule and reign with you. This world is wasting their time. (laughs) Ha ha. I've got the right perspective. All of a sudden I'm singing for joy. I'm not nearly as concerned as what I was concerned about when I first came to the scriptures. Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is in her places. He is known as her refuge. For behold, the kings assembled. They passed by together. They saw it, and so they marveled. They were troubled. They hastened away. Fear took hold of them there, and pain as a woman in the birth pangs. As when you break the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. I don't know what the ships of Tarshish is, but actually this is written at a time when there was like three nations coming against the nation of Israel. So there's like a real time event taking place here that they sang a song about. So glad, you know, these three nations were coming and you broke their ships up. It was amazing. We didn't have to do anything. I mean, what are we going to do against an armada, against a navy? Israel did not have a very—they have a navy at all. They always hired thugs to run their navy because they were scared to death of the water. So here comes this navy, and all of a sudden, some storm comes up and wipes out all the ships. Well, that was handy. It was good to have God on your side. It's good, you know. And so they sing this song about this: "You are mighty." I mean, we looked vulnerable. We looked like we were surrounded on all sides. And well, then you broke away all the ships. That's amazing. Those testimonies are there for us. But we have to be in that place where we call upon the name of the Lord in those situations and not rely on catapults or bows and arrows or whatever it is they had to fight these things off with themselves, their own strength, their own weapons of warfare, but to call upon God. To remember Jericho, that marching around it worked because God said so. We need to do the same. As we have heard, verse 8, so we have seen. In the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever. Pause. Selah. Think about that for a little bit. The kings of this earth tremble at God. They tremble. Why are they so focused on Christians? Because Christians are in the way. You're in the way. Your belief, your Bible, the way you conduct yourself is in the way of what we want to do. You're in the way. And the only thing we can think of and the only thing they can think of is to get you out of the way. That's, what, that's where the persecution comes from. Just get out of the way. Now, if you acquiesce, if you sit down, if you keep your mouth shut, if you sit still, that target will move off your back. You may get some uh, collateral damage from somebody else, but it's only the outspoken. It's only those who are living out loud that feel that. I get a little worried if I don't feel attacked. Am I too quiet? I don't want to be obnoxious. I don't want to pick fights. I definitely want to stand up for righteousness in this world. I want to know that I want, well, I know, but I want the world to know that I'm God's ambassador here. That when you talk to me, You're talking to someone who follows a different king. I don't follow Biden. I don't follow Trump. I don't follow any of these guys. They're they're useful to the kingdom, provided they obey God. My king is King Jesus. That's who I follow. And I represent him, whether we're under a totalitarian regime or whether we're not. I still follow Jesus. And I will operate there. Paul was able to minister... And choose where he wanted to go and minister to the cities he wanted to go into. And sometimes the world would put him in prison and he would minister there. Made no difference to him. The kingdom of God was what he was focused on. Whether I'm imprisoned illegally and innocently, I will minister there. If I'm free to walk around, I'm going to minister there. I may just, I just may choose to minister on Mars Hill if I feel like it. You know, or I may choose to wait and sit in Corinthians in the in the city of Corinth for a year. You know, there was freedom, but then there's also bondage. But either way, whatever this world has to offer us, we're going to minister the kingdom of God wherever we go. We, I think we put way too much attention on our freedom or our <laughs> bondage or whatever that the world tries to put on us. No, we're going to minister. May look different. You know, what, are the, what is going to happen if they do mask mandates again? Well, you need to do whatever you feel is right for your own health, of course. Do whatever God leads you to do, but we're going to stay open. We're never, ever shutting these doors again, ever. It's never going to happen. You can watch online if you feel uncomfortable, or you can come and be here in person if you want to. That's up to you. It's your health call. It's what you want to do. But we will not be moved. We're not going to be moved by that. Some people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ that day. And we'll be here to do it, no matter what. It's important. So whether it's freedom to worship whenever we want, and we might go to church, we might not. It's funny how many people wanted to come to church when they were told they couldn't come anymore. What do you mean I can't go to church? I'm going to church. I haven't been to church in a year. And they said I couldn't come, though, so I'm coming now, you know. <laughs> Whatever it takes, I guess. You know? Whatever it takes. Verse 9, we have thought, O God, on your loving kindness in the midst of your temple, according to your name, O God. So is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion and go all around her. Count her towers. Mark well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that you may tell it to the generation following. I love those two verses. Those are the ones I circled for this morning. It's personal for me. The writer here tells us, why don't you walk around the kingdom a little bit? Make note of it. I'm so busy looking over the wall to see who's firing arrows at me. Sometimes it's nice to take a stroll down the streets of God in my life and note those things. To look around her, this is amazing. I can't believe where I was and where I am today. It's incredible. Of course, I wish we had maybe one more tower or one more palace. I wish I had one more thing in my life with God that I had conquered, another sin that was gone or, you know, matured just a little bit more than I have. But you know what? I'm way better off than I was. And it's important to walk around your life with God once in a while anyway. And make note of the things that God has done. Count the towers that he's built in your life. Mark the walls, the bulwarks that keep the enemy out that you've set up. Maybe mark the holes that you've made yourself that allow the enemy in. And fill those holes back up. That's possible too. But mark those things. Consider the palaces that you may tell it to the generations following. And that's the point. You can only lead a horse to water. You can't make him drink, but I would definitely lead him to water. I lead all my kids to water. This is the well. This is Jesus. This is where you find your strength, your help, your source of everything. He doesn't move. You need to come to him. You can get your refreshment here. They may believe me. They may not. They may drink. They may not. But I brought them to the water. It's all you can do. This is, for this is God. Our God forever and ever. He will be our guide. Even to death. Even there, at the end, he doesn't promise easy life or you're going to have instant victory. No, you may find an arrow, or an arrow might find you. You know, but he's going to lead you all the way there, and you're going to you're going to heaven. I made a comment, and I and sometimes my comments at home shouldn't make it here. <laughs> I'm, but I just want to say this because I think it has to do with this. I'm going to say it very gently, and I want to be very careful about this. I'm very sensitive to. Uh, People and their loss. I understand that. But I'm awfully surprised sometimes that Christians were surprised that someone died in their life. They we die. And I don't know if it's denial on our part or if we thought that God was going to somehow make us all live forever and ever and never have to face that. But as I look around, 100 percent of the people in this room will, will be dead. 50, 100, maybe sooner, depending on what kind of accidents or what kind of health concerns you have. We're going to die. Knowing that and and putting that right in my face and in our faces is very important because that tells me where I should build, on a rock or on sand, this world that is passing away, that's a vapor that I will be removed from eventually. And my eternity with God, which is forever, the difference is unbelievable. To not be surprised, but to be prepared. To spend my life focused on that. As long as I live, I'm preparing myself for eternity. I'm worshiping God now. I'm learning the songs we're going to sing in heaven now. So I know what to say when I'm up there, you know. I'm kidding. You'll know what to say. But this world, is, it brings death. It just does. Every season we see that. Nobody likes winter around here. I mean, maybe you do. Maybe you like the cold and less humidity. But those same people always say, oh, you can't wait for spring. It's dead. It's gray. It's brown. And God reminds us of that throughout all the seasons. There's new life, though, in Christ. There's new life in eternity. And you'll never have that death season again. I just think we need to understand that and be very aware of that and honest with that about ourselves keeps me from doubting God. It keeps me from shaking my fist at God. Why, oh God, what did I expect? He's always told us that was the case. And he even concludes these three psalms that we sang with that. He will be our guide even to death. He reminds us there is a door we're going to pass through from this world into the next. And we need to be aware of that and be ready to go through it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your hope and your encouragement. Lord, today we want to commit our lives to you, everything about it. We don't want to build upon sand anymore. We want to do what's necessary each and every day. We do have to feed ourselves. We do have to provide for our families. We do have to take care of the immediate, but with full understanding that it's shifting, that it can change, that the rug can be pulled out from under us at any time. Food may not be on the shelves or... Uh, health issues may arise. All these things are, are possible and that we don't, we don't dwell on those things. We, we, we live for you. We build upon the rock in our lives. Everything else is shifting sand. It can all be moved. It can all be shaken. But, but your kingdom isn't. Our faith isn't. Our walk with you isn't. It's stable and solid regardless. And thank you for that assurance and confidence and hope that you give us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.